0: Ecclesiastes, chapter 12. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the cloud returns after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent, And the grinders cease because they are few. And those who look through the windows are dimmed, and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low, they are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets, before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails fixed firmly are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man." For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, your word. We ask, O Lord, that you would bless us this morning by it, that we might know you, that we might know your work in our lives better for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. We've come now to the end of our journey, as we've described it, with our tour guide, The Preacher, King Solomon. And Solomon has a way, just as we all do, of emphasizing and wrapping up things. You may recall back that there was a certain presidential candidate that he would sort of summarize before he spoke long on an issue. And he would begin every long monologue with, now here's the deal. And then he would go on. Ross Perot. I can't tell you how many times I heard, now here's the deal. Talk for 10 minutes. I had a friend in seminary who was a very practical man. Former ranger, former Green Beret, studying to be a chaplain. And he had a way of summing up at the end. We'd be talking about something, as seminary students do, going back and forth. And he would say, now let me give you the bottom line. It's this and it would be some sort of pithy statement. The bottom line is, you got to have the gospel. The bottom line is, you got to read the word. He would summarize up what we would go on and on about nice and crisply. Solomon's going to do a bit of that for us this morning. You know, we've talked before, and the commentators comment, that he's not much of a linear thinker. We've been on a journey with him, but it hasn't been like this, right? It's more like over and around especially some of these sections where there are Proverbs. But you see, there is a whole concept that Solomon has been getting across to us. And he's going to sum it up here for us this morning in what I call the whole duty of man, because that's what Solomon ends with. And this chapter really reminds us that we have three main duties. They are gospel duties. They are duties that we must have if we are to know the Lord Jesus Christ. We must do these things in order to hear Him and know Him and have faith in Him. But for the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we must also do these things. For we must also feed on what the Lord gives to us. We must have grace after we have been justified as well. And so what I would like us to see this morning is Solomon describing for us our duties. First, to remember the Lord. And he spends a good deal of time being very colorful about what that means and what that looks like. Remembering the Lord. Then secondly, we will see that our duty is also not only to remember the Lord, but to hear the Lord. To remember the Lord and to hear the Lord. And then finally, we will see that the culmination of that, remembering the Lord, hearing the Lord, is to obey the Lord. Remembering, hearing, obeying. Let us look then at remembering the Lord, beginning at verse 1. Now, this should be an easy point to remember in the outline, because what's the very first word of the chapter? Remember. So remember to look at remember. Because it reminds us that we are to be focused upon the Lord. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, Solomon says. And so we see that we are to remember the Lord first in our youth. This is something that we need to be reminded of. Why? Because it's easy to be distracted when you're young. Right? We see it obviously with the youngest among us. Have you ever tried to have a sustained conversation with a three- or a four-year-old? They make Solomon look like a real linear thinker. You'll be talking to them, and a bird will fly by, and they'll start talking about the bird. The doorbell will ring, they'll start talking about bells. They move around, they get distracted, because they're taking in everything, trying to see everything that's out there. You see, that happens to us, too, though, in our middle school years, in our high school years. Even in our college years, when we are sure we know everything there is to know. And then when we get married and start to have children, and realize we didn't know a thing. We need to be focused in remembering the Lord. Now, I want you to notice something about our context. I've said it to you many times, that there's a, a great benefit to going consecutively through a book. We are to remember our Creator, but that is in the context of chapter 11. Specifically, the previous paragraph, where verse 9 has other advice to young people. It says, rejoice, O young man. Do you see that? Solomon sets them side by side. Oftentimes, we set them opposing each other. Well, I don't really have too much time for God or the Bible or all this religion, people will say. I'm just trying to enjoy life. I'm trying to get the most out of life. And Solomon says, capping what he said to us so many times, if you want to rejoice and enjoy life, you must remember your creator. You see, there is a lie that comes from the pit of hell that speaks itself as wisdom. It's an old, old proverb. You may have heard it before. It says something like this. Youth is for pleasure. Age is for business. And old age is for religion. That is a lie. Youth is for God. Age is for God. And old age is for God. That's what Solomon is saying to us. And he points us to what a great God we have. He says, remember your creator. Reminding us that we are not our own. That we do not make ourselves. That we are not in charge. That we are created that God is God and we are not. Solomon has told us that many times. And the way he does it here is specifically emphatic. The word for creator here, it's actually the only time this specific form is used. The word creator is relatively common, but here it's used in the plural. And that's like, you may remember watching old movies or reading old books when kings and queens would talk. They would say, there's a famous... uh, Queen Victoria saying, we are not amused. Well, who's the we, Queen? It's the majestic plural. And so it is here with the Creator. It's not just any old Creator. It is God Himself. He is majestic. In the same way that in Hebrew in the Old Testament, you may know that one of the words for God is a plural word. For majesty and might. You see, Solomon points us to our creator, because where God is neglected, joy is lost. And he says to the young man, because you don't know, old age is coming. Now, this is an interesting point of application here, as we look and think about remembering the Lord in old age. Some of you here are now going to have to look forward, and you're going to have to dwell on this and think about this. Others of you are in the middle of this. And you're going to have to think and take encouragement in the midst of thinking of God in, the old, in old age. But you see, the point is, Solomon says, you don't know what life is like, young people, until you're in it. But let me tell you a bit about it. You know, the days are coming that are evil, that is, difficult, painful, in which you're going to say, I have no pleasure in them. Now, we all have experienced this as we go down time's ladder. There's certain things that you used to do that you just don't want to do anymore, right? I used to love getting up early every Thanksgiving morning to go out and play, depending on the guys and the age, either touch or tackle football. You've probably done this. Called it the turkey bowl. I think everybody that ever plays on Thanksgiving calls it that. And it was such joy running the wind through. It didn't matter if it was wet and rainy or snowy, because, you know, it Thanksgiving in Buffalo, there could be two feet of snow on the ground. But you see, now Thanksgiving comes, and I don't even give that a thought. It would not be enjoyable to go out in the bad weather and play football. It's lost its joy for me. Maybe reading has lost its joy for you because of your eyesight. Maybe listening to certain music. Maybe going to the amusement park. There are certain things that happen as we go through life. You see, the distractions of life start to lose their luster the things that took our attention and this is a gradual loss it doesn't you don't wake up one morning and all your bones hurt right it's gradual first there's a crick that's only when it's wet and damp then it's every morning then you're taking a leave every day because it's every day all the time You see, it's gradual, and Solomon describes this in metaphors, first in terms of a storm. When the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. This gives us the picture of the gradual darkening of old age. Now, this is going to be difficult because storms work a little different in Houston, so humor me here. In other parts of the country, what happens is you see the clouds come and they start to blot out the sun, and it may take a whole morning, right? and then it will start to drizzle, and then rain and rain. You know, here the clouds appear in it. Boom, and then it's sunny again. So I'm guessing Israel was more like Buffalo and Cleveland than like Houston. But you see, that's what Solomon is describing for us here, this gradual onset of old age. And this is something that really strikes us as we get older, because the older we get, we begin to live life without resiliency. What do I mean by that? You know, kids, they can fall down a flight of stairs and they bounce right back up. How many of you have said this? You know, those little kids, they seem to be made out of rubber. They bounce, they smack their head, they're up, they're going again. The older you get, the less likely you are to bounce back. But that's not just physical things, Solomon says. You're less likely to bounce back from very bad spiritual decisions. The older you get. Things have consequences. You pick the wrong friends, that's one thing. You make an unwise decision with marriage, that's another. You see, as we go on in life, we realize more and more that we need the Lord. And so I say to you young people that you need to be focused now upon the Lord. Don't put it off. Don't think, well, my parents seem to have it all together. And actually, I even know, you know, my dad told me about how he was converted after college. Or my mom told me how she was converted after I was born. No. What a great blessing the Lord has given you that you are here this morning hearing the word of God. Remember the creator in the days of youth, because you see the former glories are going to go by. Solomon says it's like the keepers of a house that tremble, the arms hanging down, the strong men are bent, the knees and the legs get weak, the grinders cease because they're few, because They start to fall out. And we have to use dentures. And the windows are dim. Eyesight fades. This gradual decline. And the only way to deal with that is by remembering the Lord. Because you see, death is ever before us. Solomon gives us these images of death. The silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken. You can picture yourself a very valuable piece of gold a bowl and it's so valuable and important it's it's held up by a silver string gives us a picture of the beauty of life but at the same time how fragile it is because you see the silver string snaps the silver chain snaps and the bowl falls and is broken life is beautiful but it's also fragile the wheel breaks and the cistern breaks Even routine jobs like going to the well to get water will someday be difficult. You see, now is the time to think about eternal things. Now is the time to think about your Creator. Because from dust we came and to dust we will return. Solomon describes the reversal of Genesis 2-7 when Adam was formed out of the ground. And reminds us that death is the climax of life itself, as it is now. No one is immune to death. So all ought to think on death and to think about the real world that is to come, the eternal world. See, what Solomon wants here is not to get us thinking about our elbows that hurt or our bursitis or arthritis. What Solomon says here is you need to think, even when you're young, about bad times and about death and about struggle so that it points you to Jesus. So that you don't get distracted by clothes that are nice, or music that's good, or fast cars, or good food. You don't get distracted by all those things. Focus and remember the Lord. Focus upon Him. Because you see, this remembrance is not really, it's not merely a mechanical act. It's not the act that happens if I were to walk down through the aisles here and say, okay, two plus two, four times six eight plus eight, where you just spit it out. You don't even know. It's just, it just comes out. That's not what remembering the Lord is. It's committing yourself to him, trusting in him solely, dropping all pretenses, knowing that life is hard, but that God is better. This is what we do when we remember the Lord. But we don't just remember the Lord. Solomon then begins to give us what appears to be a bit of a biographical note in verse 9. He says, besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. So he describes for us that the next thing that we are to do is to hear the Lord. Hear the Lord. And he describes how wisdom is transmitted. Transmitting wisdom. Now notice here. Besides being wise, he sort of takes that as a given. The preacher also did this. Do you notice that? He didn't just say, you know what, I'm a pretty smart guy. No, he talked, And look at what he did. See, it shows that he's not a proud thinker. Have you ever come across someone that does this? Someone that's a know-it-all, but they keep it to themselves pretty irritating, right? You're working on something. Now imagine you're not me and you're working on a car and you're working and working and something blows up on you. And the guy standing next to you says, I could have told you that would have happened. You touch that. Why didn't you tell me that five minutes ago? Right? Or I could have told you if you'd have gone that way, this would have happened. Well, why didn't you tell me beforehand? Why are you keeping it to yourself? That's not very wise. You see, Solomon doesn't want to be seen as some sort of proud keeper of secret wisdom. He shares it. You see, he wants clarity. See, the preacher taught the people knowledge. His job was to take his wisdom and to impart it such a way that everyone could understand. It's a good task for a preacher. We don't always succeed. But we try to. We try to teach in such a way that all, from the smallest to the largest, can understand. And notice that he takes great care and skill. He taught the people knowledge doing three things. Weighing, studying, and arranging. You see, he made a careful evaluation of what was going on in the world. Now, this is just the sum of many weeks that we've looked at, right? He carefully weighed the pros and the cons of money, of work, of family, right? He weighed them out, gave great consideration, and he was very thorough. He studied the issue. He's not one of these people that has an answer to your question before you finish the question. Have you ever come across that? People that interrupt you? You start asking a question, oh, I know what the answer is. Let me give you the answer to that. Right? Maybe perhaps you're guilty of that on occasion. You get overly excited. But you see, not Solomon. These are matters of life and death. So he studies it out. He's very thorough. And then he does something that is a great benefit to any student. He's orderly. He arranges it. Have you ever tried to learn in a classroom when the teacher starts talking about one thing and says, oh, I forgot. Let me tell you this. And oh, wait, I forgot about this. What about this over here? And your head gets dizzy? Solomon looked and orderly set forth his wisdom. And notice his method of teaching. And this is something that we should emulate as we attempt to transmit wisdom to others. He weighed and studied and arranged many proverbs with great care. And he sought to find words of delight. And uprightly he wrote words of truth. He actually made it his course, his effort, to find words that would be pleasant. That would be enjoyable to listen to. That would not be overly harsh. You ever tried to learn from someone, especially learn biblical things from someone, that you have the sneaking suspicion that they got up on the wrong side of the bed and then ate a raw lemon? That it's almost like they delight in pointing out all the miserable things from God's Word. True things, but that attitude. But you see, the opposite can happen to us too. He sought words of delight so that he would have an entree with people so that he could meet people where they are, so to speak. But look what he did. Uprightly he wrote words of truth. Have you ever come across someone that was trying to tell you the gospel or to teach you something from God's word, and they were so apologetic about what God's word said that you were afraid they really didn't even believe it? That they were so afraid of offending anyone, anywhere, at any time that you didn't think they had anything to say? You ever heard someone pray like that? It sickens me. I'd rather that someone didn't pray before some function or meal than they pray one of these useless universal sickly sweet non-substantive prayers but you see solomon says we need both words of pleasure and words of truth now that should immediately remind you of the lord jesus christ and how he taught just take one instance the woman at the well he comes to the well sees a woman who's obviously an outcast in society has a conversation with her that she's so eager to learn more about. He speaks to her with great respect. We lose that a little bit because we're not in that day and age. He doesn't speak to her using uh, names that are derogatory. He doesn't speak to her in an insulting tone. He's very kind and gentle with her. And at the same time, he figuratively hits her upside the head with a two-by-four of God's word. He says, you don't have a husband you got seven, and the one you're with now isn't your husband. Words of delight, pleasant words, yet words of truth. Words that affect lives because they're spoken properly, yet directly. That's how our Lord Jesus taught. That's how we are to teach. That is how we are to hear the word, to hear it pleasantly, but substantively, and how we are to pass it on. They're also words of authority that Solomon uses. Look what he says. They are given by one shepherd. My translation capitalizes shepherd. I think rightly so, because this is speaking of the great shepherd of the sheep. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. You see, these words that Solomon has come from God. Now, you just learned something else you could put in your notes. Next time someone says to you, the Bible doesn't claim to be inspired, Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 11. Yes. Solomon says, my words come from God. They come from the great shepherd. And all of these things come from the one shepherd. And that tells us a little bit about God. You see how that's put in, in contradistinction to the beginning of this chapter? We are to remember who? Our creator, far off, transcendent, over all, and yet we are to hear the words of the shepherd, the one who speaks to us, the one who speaks to children as much as to wise men. God is not just far above us, God is with us. And how much truer is that for us now, who, on th- who live on this side of the cross, The Lord Jesus Christ proving to us for all time that God indeed does dwell with his people. That he took on flesh to dwell and teach his people. And this knowledge, this wisdom is not just something that's transmitted. It transforms. It's transforming wisdom. Look at how Solomon describes this wisdom. The words of the wise are like goads and nails fixed firmly. You know what a goad is? A goad is a fancy Bible word for a big pointy stick. And what they did was they used it to move animals. You poke the animal and guess what the animal does? It goes in the opposite direction. You want the animal to get on the path? You poke it into the path. Sounds pretty simple, right? It is. This is your goad. It pokes you. When you think, well, I wonder if I just take this one thing. Poke, poke, get back on the road. Well, I wonder, do I, I really don't need to, to say anything when that person is using the Lord's name in vain. Poke, poke. Well, you know, I'm just going to stay mad at my wife or my husband. Poke, poke, get back. The words of the wise are like goads. But they're more than like goads. They're like nails. You see, goads get you back on the path. You know what a nail does? What does a nail do for something? And it doesn't move, right? It puts it in place. You put a nail in place to put something so it doesn't move, so it's fixed, so it's certain. That's what the words of the wise are like. They poke us on the path and then they stick us to the path. It's as if Solomon's saying, I'm going to take a big stick and put you on that Bible path and then I'm going to nail your foot down. So you don't leave. That's what the words of the wise are like. It transforms us. You see, Solomon is saying, all this wisdom that I have, all that I've been saying to you, is not just so you have good cocktail party conversation. It's to change your life. That's why I've laid out these two ways for you. You see, the intention of all these questions that Solomon has asked is to get answers. Have you ever been around someone that asks questions and they don't really want answers anymore? C.S. Lewis has a wonderful picture of this in his book, The Great Divorce, describing uh, an encounter with a man who would rather be in hell, he doesn't know that, but he would rather be in hell than in heaven. And he starts asking all sorts of questions. And the angel says to him, you know, the time for seeking is past. These are the answers. And he says, no, but what about this? I'm not sure, and I'm not sure we can really have firm answers, and... And he says, do you remember when you were young and you actually asked questions to get answers? Now you're just asking questions to ask questions. I've given you the answers, but they're in front of you. You just need to believe on them. And literally, the story ends with the man saying, well, you know, I'd love to talk about this more, but I have to go get back to my discussion group and hell. We're going to go have a long conversation about deep things. You see, philosophers do that. At times, they talk and talk and ask and think and talk, and they don't want to get to the real answers. People do that, too. It's a version of turning up the car radio, Romans 1. They just ask things because they don't want to have answers. The woman at the well did that, too, didn't she? Jesus starts to use the goad on her about her husbands, and she says, you know, I've always wondered, where's the proper place to worship? We ask these things to get away from them. But you see, Solomon says we need to hear the wisdom of the Lord and be transformed by it. And then finally, after we have remembered the Lord, after we have heard the Lord, we are to conclude with obeying the Lord. This is the end of the matter, Solomon says. This is the bottom line. Now here's the deal. Fear God and keep His commandments. And this is a proper fear. This isn't a fear like some of you may be afraid of spiders. Or some of you may be afraid of roller coasters. Or some of you may still be afraid of the dark. Some of you may be afraid of commitment. I don't know. But the point is, it's not a a fear that grips us and stops us from acting. It's a fear that frees us. It's an awe, a respect for the Lord. It's a reverence for God and His authority. And this is the sum of it. Everything's been heard. Solomon said, I've told you all you need to know fear God. It puts everything in its proper place. The fear of God puts in proper place all of our other fears, all of our hopes, all of our admirations. It puts everything where it should be. It's what Solomon's been saying. If you don't fear and obey God, your life is a mess. It may seem like it's not for a couple of weeks, but really it's a mess. And if you do look to the Lord. If you do fear the Lord, if you do have faith in Him, even though your life looks like a mess, it's really in order. You're marching to glory. Fear of the Lord, a proper fear, is where Solomon begins. And then notice that it's first the fear of the Lord, and then it is keeping His commandments. Proper obedience flows from proper fear. Notice the order of the words here. Fear God and keep. The order is important. Our conduct derives from our worship of God. If you want to live a more godly life, you must begin by submitting to the Lord and worshiping. Him. That is where you must begin. You can't go the other way. You see, it's the knowledge of God that leads to obedience. Obedience does not lead to the knowledge of God. You can't mix those two up. It's not a Chinese meal, one from column A, one from column B. It's a progression. We must fear the Lord. And once we have that proper fear, then we will have proper obedience. And you see, the book has set this out, the whole book. There are two ways to life. There's life under the sun. There's life under heaven. You have to choose. You have to go one way. And this is the way for every man. The Hebrew here is very interesting. It says, the whole duty of man. This is the whole duty of man. But it actually also could mean, I think it does mean the whole duty of man, but it could also mean it's the duty of every man. You see, Hebrew has a way, it says every man, it says all of men. You see the kind of the pun there? So, no matter who you are, this is the duty of all of men. And yes, ladies, kids, this is a word that means people, not just dads and granddads. You see, this is the duty for everyone, from the smallest to the largest. From those that have sat listening to sermons years on end, and from those who are not paying any attention right now. This is the duty of all of you. Fear God and keep His commandments. And then finally, we see that the way that we have a proper fear and the way that we have a proper obedience is through a proper motivation. This is the end of the matter, Solomon says, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. This is another way of Solomon presenting his two ways. That's why this is applicable today in a church and tomorrow in a coffee shop, because there are only two ways. God will judge everything, good and evil, secret and open. And this Kills complacency because you cannot do one thing while God is in a timeout. Kids can do that, can't they? Mom and dad are busy with something. Kids get away with murder when mom is involved heavily on the phone, perhaps with an appliance dealer or with someone who's coming to do work on the house. And kids know that mom's going to be focused for about 15 to 20 minutes, right? But you see, God doesn't take a break. God doesn't get distracted. God looks at all things. It kills complacency. But for the Christian too, look what that says. Life is not pointless. The most mundane, small thing that you are doing is important to God. Because he brings all things into judgment. None of your time is wasted. Your life is not a waste. You may think, the devil may whisper to you, "Oh, if I'd only done this. Oh, if I'd only done that, why am I doing this? Why is this so important? God says it's important to me. My eye is on it. I bring it into judgment. And this is this, at the end of the matter. There are two ways. There are two paths. There's the way of grace and the way of judgment. There's the way of life and the way of death. There's the way under the sun and the way of heaven. And Solomon calls us to repent. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, if you are not fearing God, if you are not remembering your Creator, Solomon calls you to repent because life will end, death is certain, it can be gradual. It can sneak up on you. But death is there. And the only way of life is to believe in the Lord. And if you are in the Lord Jesus Christ today, Solomon also calls on you to repent. He says to you, young people, redeem the time now. It doesn't mean you can't have fun. Rejoice. But it means you must be serious about serious things. Be fun about fun things, but be serious about serious things. This is what the Lord has for us. He tells us, remember me. Listen to me. My words are words of life. And obey me. For my way is the way of life. Thanks be to God that he inspired this king who lived a life so different than ours that he might share with us the very wisdom of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You have blessed us through this book. O Lord, we pray that You would meet with us this morning, that You would not make us to be complacent, but rather that You would focus our minds and hearts upon the Lord Jesus Christ. In His name we pray. Amen.